Marie Powell is an award-winning author with more than 40 traditionally published children's books. And amongst her degrees, she has a Master's of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. Her award-winning short stories and poetry have been published in literary magazines. Stay with us to find out what inspired her young adult fantasy series called Last of the Gifted. Don't go away. We'll be right back for more on Marie Powell. Welcome back. You're watching the Writer's Corner live show with myself, Bridgette Lambanda from Cape Town in South Africa, and my co-host, Mary Elizabeth Jackson. She's in the United States. A special warm welcome to you, our audience, because without you, we won't have a show. So whether you're watching us over on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, on Twitch, and also over on Amazon Live, a very warm welcome to you. We'd love to give you a shout out. So if you'd like that, please let us know. And today we're going to be talking to Marie Powell. Um, and you don't want to miss this conversation because she is an accomplished author. But before we uh, ask her to, to join us, one of the things we're very passionate about on the show is helping you see how you can level up. So thanks to the pandemic, we are no longer limited to promoting our books in libraries, um, just in our own location. Because many of you have done readings um, in your local libraries, at schools, but that usually only gives you exposure to people that's in the library uh, or the children that are in the class. Thanks to the pandemic, we can now go live and we've expanded our horizons. And as an author, you can now bring your work to a global audience. Isn't that just amazing? So one of the things we teach you on the show is how you can level up so that you can be your best when you are talking about your books online. Now, many of you will be using your phone. Most of you, I imagine, use your phone when you go live and that's perfectly fine. So if you're using your phone to go live on platforms like TikTok and Instagram, for example, you'd be holding your phone like that in portrait mode. And that's 100% correct because you're using the landscape um, that, that those platforms offer you. However, if you are going live on platforms like YouTube or Facebook Live or Amazon Live or any of the others, you do want to turn your phone into portrait mode. And the way that you do that is by into your settings, whether it's iOS or um, or Android, go into your settings and turn off the screen lock. And you want to do this before you hit the go live button. That'll get rid of the black marks that you see on the side when you are live in portrait mode. So turn your phone into landscape mode. Now, here's a quick tip. You can what we recommend is that you don't try and make your audience seasick by holding the phone in your hand. Use a kind of a a tripod and you know there are so many 
you were totally spoiled for choice. So use whatever tripod you've got at your disposal to keep your phone um, still and, and free from moving. But if you if you are traveling, you're on the road and you forgot your tripod, here's a quick tip. Take some sticky tape or press something and put your phone on the window. Um, it'll be at the correct 90 degree angle and all means you'll have front facing light, which is fabulous. Um, because if you have light coming from behind you, you disappear. Now, if you want to just level up a little bit from that, and I know a lot of you are at book fairs and stuff like that, um, you do want to invest in a microphone. And again, there are tons. Take your pick of microphones you can plug into your phone. But here's another tip. Get a little windshield, and that'll get rid of the uh, the, the sound of the movement sound or the wind and people will hear you clearly. So those are just a quick couple of tips. And of course, to get rid of background noise, you want to ensure that you're using, um, this is my favorite set of earbuds, but again, take your pick. There's so many earbuds that you can choose from. And of course, Mary and I, because we go live mostly from our, um, our laptops or our computers, we have upgraded to a webcam and we both use Logitech Brio. I love the Logitech range, but the Logitech Brio has got light right side technology, which means you don't have to be a lighting expert. It will adjust or adapt to the lighting conditions. Now, let me get my amazing friend and co-host um, on the show, Mary Elizabeth Jackson. She's a special needs and disabilities advocate. She's a certified special needs and disabilities advocate. She's also a ghostwriter and an award-winning author herself. And uh, please go and check out her latest release called Cheers from Heaven. Mary, welcome. How are you today? Hi, I am awesome. Thank you for the introduction. I'm so excited to be here today. And um, I love listening to you talk about all the things that help us to do uh, a show better, have better interviews, present better, especially for authors and anyone who wants to be who wants to go live. It's really important because we can get seasick watching somebody. I know we've all seen those videos and we're like, oh, swipe. <laughs> we just keep going, don't we? Absolutely, for sure. And a big shout out there to Chris DeBovren. Nice to mm -hmm. see you in the comments. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the show. And so for those of you who've never met our amazing guest for today, um, we're very, very pleased and happy to introduce Mary Powell, Marie Powell to you. Uh, Marie is an award-winning author with more than 40 traditional published children's books. And uh, she's also got, amongst others, a degree in Master of Fine Arts from the University of British Columbia. And her award-winning short stories and po poetry has been published in magazines. Now, you'd be interested to know what where the idea came from for her um, Last of the Gifted series. So without any further ado, let's give a hearty warm welcome to our special guest um, on the show for today. Hi, Marie. Thank you. <laughs> Marie, a warm, 
<laughs> Very warm welcome to our show today. We we absolutely delighted to have you join us on screen today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Pleasure. So as always, we always start off by asking um, our authors on the show, what inspired you to become an author? Because we've all got stories within us. Every single person's got a story or a good couple of stories, but nobody actually, you know, very few actually become authors. So what was your inspiration? You know, I had a few inspirations. My, um, my father read to me when I was a kid. I mean, I think really reading convinced me to be a writer, you know? Um, a lot of writers will say they couldn't, if they haven't read anything and that they really like, so they decided to write. I'm kind of the opposite. Um, I've read all kinds of genres and all kinds of books right from, uh, from the moment. I, I can remember the moment when I learned how to read. Um, and that just uh, inspired me to want to do it myself. Um, really. But also I had very good teachers who were very supportive of that, you know, um, my writing when I was a young writer and a teenage writer and then an older writer. And we have a very supportive community here in Saskatchewan. I'm in Treaty 4 territory in Regina, Saskatchewan, um, but uh, our Saskatchewan Writers Guild and our Saskatchewan community of writers is very supportive. So that helped as well as I grew into the idea of being a novelist, you know, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nice. Yeah, you do have a very supportive uh, community up there because sure. we know quite a few authors from up there and it's really nice to have that support. Um, so Bridgetti mentioned about your degree in fine arts. And do you feel like, um, how much do you feel like that's played a part in, in strengthening your creative abilities? Or has it just been kind of a, you know, it's just kind of ro gone, gone along with it? No, definitely strengthened. I actually have five degrees. Uh, so my oh, Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing is is one I went back to get when I was in my 50s. And um, so by that point, I had gone to a lot of, we have a, a programs here like Sage Hill Writing Experience and uh, different workshops that go on through the year and so on and different classes that I took that inspired me along the way. And as I got closer to wanting to be a novelist, I just felt I had to put more effort into it. I had some published short stories at that point and one published children's book, but I wanted to do more, you know, and I wanted to take it a little more seriously. So I went back to get this Master of Fine Arts and Creative Writing from UBC, which was amazing. I cannot speak highly enough of UBC, but also um, everything I wrote, I, th I think I can say this uh, without any word of a lie, um, everything I wrote during my degree um, except one TV piece that I wrote for a TV class I took has been published um, or has won an award or something like that since. So, I mean, definitely uh, the creative writing MFA was um, a big step up for me, partly because the quality of the students that went that were giving me feedback and but mainly because of the instructors at the UBC program and just that that focus, you know, we had um, basically uh, we had to write two 600 word essays about craft and feed and feedback each week. So it was, it was, it, it was huge, you know, like for, for two and a half years, it was uh, my life. Right. So yeah, it made a big difference for me. Congratulations. Amazing. Yeah. I wow. mean, a lot of people wow. don't, you know, I know a lot of, a lot of writers say that and, and you don't have to have an MFA by any stretch to become a successful writer. But for me, it was big. It was a, a real game changer in my career. Yeah. Now you've got 
uh, your award-winning short stories and poetry um, has been published. Yes. Tell us a little bit about how that came about, um, because I think it will inspire new authors or, you know, somebody want okay. to know, how do I get my stories or poetry published? Can you tell us a little bit about it? I sure can. Um, I was, uh, and I have been a member of writing groups all the way through my writing career and still am. And um, one writing group that I was uh, in uh, back when I was just, when I hadn't been published yet, um, was called The Erratics. And we were a group of poets and short story writers. And uh, at one point we got, um, ambitious and we got you know looking at contests and looking at where publicate where you could get things published like that where we could just short pieces and poetry published and um, we began to encourage each other to send work out it's it is a hurdle it is hard I think when you're a new writer to you know go through that step of sending your work out to you know uh, contests or to publishers and to literary magazines and things like that but that was the way that I initially got published I just um, I looked for uh, what they call submission calls where a publication will be say doing an anthology or doing a particular theme issue or something like that and they'll put out a call to say we would like to see some writing by this deadline right and you follow the guidelines because it's really important you don't get looked at if you don't follow the guidelines of that particular contest or particular literary magazine they're very different um, in what they want you to submit and how they want you to submit it but we got together as a group and looked at those things and said well you know your your poem about x would go really well in this particular contest or in this literary magazine look at this you know fits really well so we encouraged each other to send out and that was big for me i i am a i am as you can tell, I'm a bit of an advocate of the idea of community, you know, and I do feel that um, that that kind of support helped me come out of my shell, you know, because I think writers are all a little bit introverted, you know, it, or maybe not all, but many writers are, are quite introverted and a little nervous about, you know, putting themselves out in public. So it was a really, it was a big boost to me to have other people helping and to be able to help other people do that as well. Look at someone else's poem and say, oh, I just saw this contest. It would go really well. Why don't you send it? And that way too, you don't have to worry so much about the rejections that come in because you're all together in that process, you know, and when someone gets a win or gets a, a publication, then everyone can celebrate, you know? So it was, uh, it was the way that I broke in. And I would recommend two things there. One would be being a member of a, of a writing group of some kind that's similar to whatever you're working on and a supportive writing group, because you know I think that's important too. Um, and also the idea of finding publications, finding contests that your writing would fit and sending it out there, send it out there and just keep sending it out there until you, um, when you get a rejection, sometimes you get good feedback, you can then re revise the piece and send it out again to the, to the next call or the next uh, publication that you see. So, you know, I would advocate both of those things for new writers. That's really, really great advice because support means everything and it helps you to be braver, I think, to take that chance that you might not. So that's awesome to share with us. Okay, so we're going to shift just a little bit onto your um, your series, Last of the Gifted, your epic fantasy two book series. So are they standalone or, you know, do you need to read them um, in sequence to each other? I hope they're standalone, but I think it works better if you read them in sequence. There they mm -hmm. are there. 
Beautiful, um, beautiful. Spirits, spirit sight is the first one. Water sight is the second one. And um, basically, it's a series that's set in 13th century Wales, right? So it's medieval fantasy about two siblings who um, pledge their magical abilities to protect their people from the invading English army in 1282 Wales, uh, with a little help from the last true Prince of Wales after his murder. So Hugh, the boy, is a warrior in training with a special ability to control the minds of birds and animals that evolves during the series. And um, his sister Catherine can see the future in a drop of water. And they have to work together. Basically, what happens is um, Hugh really wants to be um, to use his gifts to spy for the last Prince of Wales, right? But when the prince is ruthlessly murdered, Hugh's gift allows him to merge with the prince's spirit. And that way they get a little help in trying to fight back against the invaders. And um, eventually they have to basically join their for join forces, stretch their gifts and, you know, try and fight their way to freedom, you could say, uh, or to at least survive the invasion. So, Gosh, I love that. I love that. And tell everybody really quick, where did the inspiration come from? Because Brigetti <laughs> asked you, but I don't think she told us. Did she, Brigetti? No, I no. I would love to. I would love to. I, um, I'm my my family background is Welsh, and at one point when I was in my 40s, late 40s, early 50s, somewhere in there, I decided I had to go to Wales because my grandfather had died before I was even born, right? And I knew he was a Welsh speaker, but that's really all I knew about him. And so I gathered up my kids, and I was a single parent. I am a single parent. I was a single parent. My kids are long grown now. But um, I gathered the kids up and we uh, took ourselves to Wales. And we were, basically we rented a sheep farm near Dolwith Ellen Castle, uh, the town of Dolwith Ellen and the castle that was there, the ruins that was there on the hill. And we began to go to, you know, what I thought were Welsh castles, the big ones, Carnarvon and, and Bomaris and, you know, Conwy and those ones. And as we were taking little tours of the castles and, and looking around there, we discovered that they are not Welsh castles. They are English castles built by Edward I to subjugate the Welsh. So we also realized we were, uh, you know, five minutes away from uh, one of the castles that belonged to the Welsh princes themselves. So we took ourselves there one day, um, and we got to the parking lot, and like there was no one in the parking lot. We were the only car. There was no one to take our tickets, you know, that we had purchased. Right? There was no one to. Uh, there was no little gift store to buy trinkets at or anything like that. There was just this beautiful countryside and this, you know, waterfall. It was like rock, you know, slate. It's a, mainly slate in North Wales. Um, and these, this rocky sort of hillside, we went up the mount, up mountainside, I guess you could say, really. We went up the mountain and at the top was this, you know, majestic, big ruins uh, of a tower. And we looked at it and we realized that the door to get in was on the first floor, not the main floor of the castle, which was strange. And there was a kind of a rickety set of steps and all of the um, signs in the area were either in Welsh first or they were just pictures and the pictures were people, you know, falling off the cliffs and so on. So it was kind of like, you know, enter at your own risk, right? And there was no one to tell us anything. But as so we climbed up and we went into the door 
and there were placards around. So it was kind of like a self-guided tour, if you will. And we walked around this austere sort of stone thing, looking at different spots. And we found the kitchen and we found the area. There was a, an explanation of how people slept in the 1200s, you know, um, and so on and where they slept and there was a walkway and we went up on the walkway and looked around and one of the stories that was on the placards was the of the invasion the 1282 invasion of wales and the loss of this castle um, the way the english took it over and just looking out over the mountainside and the lovely beautiful landscape all around and imagining it full of somewhere between three and ten thousand english troops um, facing you, coming to get you, essentially, you know, it was, um, it just gave me shivers. And just imagining that eventually led me, I couldn't get it out of my head. I had to write about it. I did, we, once we came back to Canada, I felt like the kids said, you know, you brought a ghost with you or something, because, <laughs> you know, and initially, like, there has been a lot since then. That was 2006, and there has been a lot of uh, research coming out and so on. So that was inspiring, too. I got books. I read books and uh, went on the Internet and found inf information out. I just couldn't leave it alone, and eventually it became uh, a novel, you know. And, and then That's it amazing. So you really felt sort of compelled to get the story um, out. You know, sometimes things, events just move us to the point where we have to do something with it. Um, yeah. Now, do you mind reading us a page or two from one of the I books? Will. Really I will. I will. That if you if you could. That's a very good segue. I was just thinking that you know, <laughs> I'd love, I'd love to, I like to read this section. Now, I haven't read this for a while, but I will do my best to give you a good reading. Thank you. <clears throat> December twelve eighty two, Gwyneth Cymru, North Wales. He raised his arms, feeling bone and feather flatten against the wind, and knew himself tethered to air currents that smelled of salt and fish somewhere off the horizon. He ran below the bird, yet his mind and the hawk's mind moved as one. He could feel the dry December grasses beneath his bare feet, but he saw, as the hawk saw, a flash of grey fur in the stubble, the swaying pattern of a tree branch. He tried to turn the hawk's mind, his mind, to his will, and for a moment he succeeded. In the distance he could see the stone watchtower of his home at Gareth Kellen, seat of the royal court of Wales. But the hawk's need was powerful, turning him back to scan the ground they circled. If he squinted just so at the yellow and russet clumps, he could make out the leaves of each tree. A shadow flitted from branch to branch. Pray. His talons ached for the soft flesh, and his beak thrust forward. No, not his. It was the hawk's beak that longed to rip the flesh from bone and feather. Hugh grasped the bird's thoughts again and turned its head toward Prince Llewellyn's tower. There, a streak of movement across the grass. Was it some grotesque beast from the past? He urged the hawk to circle until he could see it more clearly. A single horse and rider galloped toward Garth Kellen. A messenger. Fast horses in wartime never bring good news. Had the English broken the peace again? Hugh gasped, and his connection to the bird faltered. The hawk gave a piercing shriek. Hugh felt himself falling, as if he'd dropped from its talons rather than its mind. His feet, the same feet that had seemed to barely skim the ground a moment ago, thudded against the earth. He stumbled, and the momentum of his running threw him over and down until he braced his hands against the mountainside. 
He almost flipped again and bit back a cry as his fingers buckled, but his shifting weight came to a stop. Tears have no place in a warrior's world, his father had told him when he had sprained his ankle five years ago. He flexed his fingers now. Each one moved painfully. Nothing was broken. When he shared the mind of an animal or bird, he often lost the sense of his physical body. He was becoming familiar with the consequences of coming back to himself. This time, though, he'd taken it a step further. He'd done it. He'd made the hawk turn so he could see what he wanted to see through its eyes, if only for a moment. It was easier with horses because they loved him and he loved them, but they couldn't see any farther than the men riding them. Hawks and other birds would be more useful in a battle. Now he had proven it. He scarcely felt the dry spears of grass as he pushed himself up. Hugh's first thought was to tell his father. But would his dad listen? And I will leave it there. Nice. <laughs> listen to her. Thank you. Yeah, listen to her accent as she's reading to us. You can hear, I can hear it in there. So it sounds so, it's beautiful. So, you know, you're a very accomplished author. You've done so many things. So, you know, what would you tell um, someone starting out or even your, young, you know, and your younger self? Yeah. I would say yeah. a lot of things. One, of, one thing I would say is read read, 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 because <laughs> that's what really makes you a good writer, right? Um, I do believe that. And the other thing is, you know, believe in yourself, because honestly, um, it's, it's not always a straightforward path. I'm, I'm not saying it couldn't be, maybe with some people it is. But for most people, it's a bit of a struggle getting the work to the publishable level. Um, you know, learning your craft, it is a craft, you know, so you might be a talented writer, but you still have to put the work in to do the craft work to really make it um, sing, you know, to make it the best that it can be. And it's, um, it requires a certain amount of fortitude to keep sending things out, you may get rejections, and you have to be able to get yourself through that somehow, um, you know, find a good crew get people around you who can support you to do that, but believe in yourself too, because it's not, you can't get it all from external sources. You have to believe that um, this is worth your time. This is worth your effort and um, that you will eventually get something out of it more than money, you know, more than fame. Cause you may be, you may not get either of those things. You have to get a certain amount of satisfaction from it. And if you do, then I would say persist, be persistent. I like that you talked about um, fortitude and believing in yourself um, because I've seen so many posts on Twitter of authors, new authors, wanting to enter the space and they say, you know, I've had a hundred rejections, what should I do? You know, um, and I think the advice that comes through strong and clear is, is believe in yourself and just keep going because, yeah. you know, somewhere along the line you are going to get that yes. So persistence and, you know, value yourself more than what you think of others' opinion. Um, that's, that's right. Because, yeah, I think and, that's what, I'm, what know, I'm hearing you saying. And, and don't, don't be afraid to keep learning. You know, like um, sometimes you go through a period of time where you get published quite easily and it all feels great. And then you hit a snag or something and you go through 
maybe even like a few months or a years, you know, without being published, you're sending things out and nobody's picking them up, right? Um, so I think don't be afraid to take a class or learn something new or try a new genre or something like that. Um, you know, if if it's kind of, I guess it's more of a calling in a way than a career. <laughs> it's like, if you're willing to grow, um, there's probably uh, a good a good opportunity for you to do that. You just need to keep looking for those opportunities, right? So never give up. Just keep going if it's what you want to do. Yeah. And and you're, what you're doing is painting the picture of reality for a writer as opposed to but there, that, um, that picture is that people think it's not pie in the sky and it's not glamorous. And there are so, there are highs, there are lows. And some days you feel like you're on the mountaintop and others you're in the abyss of the sea you just have to keep going. That's very good. Yeah. And actually, Wales is the place where the mountains meet the sea. So that's. There we go. <laughs> I wish I was one of your kids on that trip with you. That was amazing. Right, Bridgetti? Oh, my goodness. Just before we close, Marie, who's your biggest inspiration? Uh, oh, uh, I was I just 50 people just popped into my head. Um, <laughs> I. I, I would have to say, um, I don't, yeah, now that you said that, I've, I, like I say, I literally could name 50 people, but I think, um, um, yeah, I can't even, I, if I say one name, I'm going to need to say five more. I know, I know what it's like. You kind of think, you know, there's so many, and if I leave somebody out, they're going to feel offended. Um, and, Writers, it's, and it's usually teachers, a you know? of people and things and events. That it's eventually a shapes sure. who we are, right? Might be Gary Highland, yeah. who was a poet and, and English teacher here. I had him twice in grade 10 and grade 12. And uh, he was a published poet. And he got me into um, Sage Hill, for, uh, which is a, uh, a teen program uh, for young writers, which helped me a lot and pushed me along the way. But then I can think of 50 other people, you know, since then who've been mentors, teachers, and just even reading people's work, you know, there's a lot of, I have a lot of favorite authors. Um, yeah, I, it would be hard to name any one particular. <laughs> no, I can, I can no, imagine, no, I mean, after yeah. your long, illustrious career, that would be very difficult. Yeah. yeah, well, in many different genres, you know, like, it's like, um, I'd have to write out 10 different genres and name someone in each one of them, because that's, that is kind of how it's been for me mm -hmm. yeah well thank you so much we have so enjoyed your journey and your stories and your reading and um so go get marie powell's series and we can't wait to have you back on to see what you're up to next <laughs> absolutely you. do you want to hold the, the do you want to hold those books up again oh, sure. so people can see? Yeah. yes so if you are watching us over on amazon live those books are in the carousel so do go and grab a copy um, of Marie's books. You can either go, grab one or grab both. I think um, there's an omnibus special... as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an, om you. it's an omnibus. So thanks very much to everyone who's joined us live. And if you are catching the show on the rerun, then um, welcome to the show as well. It's also great to have you. So take care, everyone. Marie, thank you again. It was wonderful having you on the show today. And um, thanks, everyone. We will see you back on the next episode of the Writer's Corner live show.